Kingdom Culture. I mean, it has been an amazing summer series, and we're not going to talk about it today. Just giving you a heads up. Uh, I felt like I needed to give that disclaimer. If you're like, oh man, the series has been so good. What's the next parable? We are totally going off the script today. Um, but like I said, I've been gone for the last four Sundays. I haven't been here since like the beginning of July. It's crazy between our family travels and some trips, and then um, our, our daughter Eden had heart surgery uh, the last couple weeks, and so it has been a roller coaster of emotions, and I thought uh, what would be worthwhile is literally to crack open my journal and my Bible and just share what, what God has really been teaching me these last couple weeks. So that's where we're going. There's not like a real outline. It's going to be raw. It's not going to be polished, um, but it is going to be honest, and it is going to be, I think, helpful to you, and so that that's the goal. So like I said, um, we have been out for the last couple weeks in this whole surgery process. And before we go into anything God's Word speaking, and I totally lose my voice, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support and your prayer. Thank you for your encouragement. Uh, thank you for the text and the Facebook messages and the comments and uh, the gift cards and the people cutting our lawn. All these things, we are so incredibly grateful. Um, uh, Lindsay and I have said this multiple times. I just want you to hear it. There's no way we could have walked through what we walked through without you and without a church family like this. And so I just want to say again, from our family to you, we are deeply grateful and appreciate everything. Um, and can, people like continue. People came up after first. I was like, hey, how can we help you this week? Like, that's just who you are. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, the first two weeks, however, of this like month I've been gone, I was in Washington State. I was hiking 87 miles around Mount Rainier National Park, and uh, it was beautiful. It was stunning. I mean, this is a picture of me and my friend Brian and Greg who went on this trip. So that was my first two weeks I've been gone, and the last two weeks I was gone, I was sitting in the U of M hospital um, in Ann Arbor, not the same view at all, uh, much more difficult circumstance than uh, hiking around a mountain, but I was thinking about this and trying to just articulate, like, could these, do these things kind of go together? And the more I thought about them, the more they do. Like, hiking around a mountain like Mount Rainier is exhausting mentally, it's exhausting physically, and walking through a open-heart surgery with your three-month-old is exhausting mentally, and it's exhausting physically. And there were things that I learned along the way around Mount Rainier that I really feel like are applicable uh, to where God wants to take us as a community, as a church, even as individuals uh, today. And so, ha anyone been on like a hiking trip before? You've done some like intense camping or something? Tanger outlets does not count if you walk around that. It's not intense. Um, but this is by far the most intense hike I've ever done. Like, I've done a bunch of ultra marathons and all this other stuff. This was by far one of the most taxing physical things I've ever done. It was 87 miles around the base of the mountain, up and down, up and down, up and down. So it equaled about 23,000 feet of elevation gain across the seven days that we were hiking. They were big miles. My legs were fried at the end of every day. The camp food, like the freeze-dried meals, did not cut it. You know, I was waiting for like a buffet, and it was like this little freeze-dried thing. It tasted mostly like water. Just didn't get it done, you know. So um, I was thinking about this, and every trail – you hike, or maybe this is true of just your family or friends that you go with, they all kind of take on a different personality. So Brian was kind of the trip benefactor. Like he made sure we 
all the logistics were planned. He booked the flights, all this stuff. My friend Greg is kind of like a trail Yoda. Like the dude could fix anything with duct tape and a pencil, you know, just like splints, whatever you needed, fixing your tent. Like he could do all of it. And I was the trail map guy. Like I was the trail nerd. I was the one who every single night would curl up in my sleeping bag and pop open that Mount Rainier National Park map and just study it. I would study. I would make sure we knew where we're going, how far to the next camp, uh, how much elevation do we have to cover the next day. Is it going to be exposed? Is it going to be under tree cover? Uh, are there going to be water sources or not? Should we carry? All these kind of things. And so I, I affectionately was named uh, the trail map guy like by our group. And so there were sections, though. Like when you study a map, it's great if the map always works, right? Like it's great if you have Apple Maps until Apple Maps is like, oh, I didn't know this huge highway was closed. That sucks. You know, like that happened to me this we were in Ann Arbor, which is constantly under construction, and Apple Maps was like never accurate, like with what was actually open, and that's kind of how I felt. There were a couple days on the Wonderland Trail, this trail that we were doing around Rainier, where the map said to go this way, and this way was blocked by a humongous cedar tree. There's no way you're getting through there. Or the next day you'd go and, okay, cross this bridge and go up this ridge to, to this next camp. It's like, well, there's no bridge here anymore. Like, it's just glacial river pounding through. And I'm definitely not crossing that with my tennis shoes. You know, like, I'm not not going there. And so the map is great when it lines up with the markings. But there were moments over and over again where we had to trust that we were still on the Wonderland Trail even when there were no markings. Even when it didn't line up with the map, just be like, hey, I know we're not supposed to deviate. Let's just keep going. Let's... Go around this river, or I kind of see a footpath here. Let's follow that. We had to do it over and over again. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about trust. About trusting God when you're off the map. About trusting God when when the markings do not line up with real life. That's what I want to talk about. So, as some of you know this, this, this year I began a practice where I just take 10 to 15 verses... And I study those every single day for an entire month. The goal is to get through a whopping 12 passages at the end of the year. But it's really helped me focus on Scripture and spend time in it daily over and over and over again, the same passage. So July, someone had sent us a verse from Psalm 62, and we have it on our mirror in the bathroom at home. And and they were preparing, they were praying for us about Eden's surgery. And so I just said, you know what, I'll I'll just spend time in Psalm 62. That's going to be July. So the whole time on this trip, uh, I, I was thinking and dwelling and meditating and reading Psalm 62. And I, what I wanted to do is pick two passages, one from July, one that I'm in right now in August, and just share what the Lord is teaching me about in these passages. Is that okay? Okay. As much as we're able, that's what we're going to try. So if you have a Bible, go to Psalm 62 with me. And we're only going to read a couple verses just uh, for the sake of time. So Psalm 62 verse 5. Here's what it says. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. I was thinking about that as I'm hiking around a 14,000-foot mountain 
that has its own ecosystem it is people die trying to summit every single year. I mean, this is an incredibly daunting, big rock in the landscape of Washington State. And then I'm reading verses like he is my mighty rock and my refuge. Trust in him at all times. If you'll pour out your heart before him, for God is our refuge. Earlier, David says he's a rock and our salvation. And as I'm thinking about that, uh, I literally began to think about my computer's malfunctioning. Just one second. Talk amongst yourselves. We are back. The verse that really jumped out to me, and I was thinking about this as we're hiking along on this trail, it was specifically verse 8. And verse 8, this is what it says. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. Here's what I know about trust. This is probably true of you. If you follow Jesus for any length of time. I love trusting one time. You know what I'm saying? I love trusting God one time. I love looking back and being like, oh man, I trusted God then. But that's not what David says to do. In Psalm 62, what does David say? He says, trust in him at all times, at all times. Which means that may be a momentary thing for you and I to do. Not a one-time thing. All of us had to trust in Jesus at some point. If you follow him, you surrendered your life to him. You had to trust in Jesus at some point, but that does, he does not do the work for you to trust in him at all times. Like, that was the, the work God was encouraging me to do. So when it says at all times, there is this reality that we have to take up trust. There's something to pick up, something to carry. But it also says right after that to pour out your hearts to him. What was in my heart in July? Uh, you'd find a lot of anxiety. You'd find fear, you'd find worry, you'd find stress, you'd find questions, you'd find impatience, you'd find confusion, you'd find misunderstanding, you'd find tension, you'd find friction in my relationship with God and with others. And, and David says, you can't just take up trust, you also have to pour out your heart. You also have to take those things and you have to actively give them to, to Jesus. You can't just say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to worry and I'm going to be anxious and I'm going to fear and I'm going to be impatient and I'm not going to understand and I'm just going to like wring my hands every single night in the middle of the night trying to figure my way out of this. You know what I learned really quickly? You cannot micromanage your way out of an open heart surgery of your three-month-old daughter doesn't happen that way. That's not how life works. But you can trust. But you can pour out your heart. You can lay those things down. And friends, and you already know this. I mean, if you've been around church any length of time, I've probably even said this before. But you don't really learn God to be trustworthy until you are in a circumstance where you must trust Him. You do not learn the art of trusting in God when you have your life figured out. When you're in control, when everything is going according to your plan, when the trail map lines up with the trail marking, you don't learn it that way. The only way to truly learn how trustworthy and faithful and, and sovereign and good God is, is if you find yourself in a situation where you have to do that, where you have to trust him. Like, how is it that a person, I've got a, a close friend of mine, how is it that a person 
with incurable cancer can thank God for cancer because of the change it's brought about in his life? Trust. How can a couple who struggled with infertility for nine years straight, treatment after treatment, doctor after doctor, uh, hospital after hospital, how can they how can they say that their marriage is somehow better than before they tried to have kids? Well, that's that's trust. How can someone who built up an incredible career in the marketplace leave it all behind, the income, the status, and the security for the calling God has placed on their life or maybe a dream that God has put on their heart? Trust. That's, that's the only way. That's the only factor that makes any of that makes sense. And so God is teaching me this through Psalm 62. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. And there are moments on that trail when I was like, are you kidding me? We have two hours to at the top of this. Like, I'm exhausted. And I was just angry. I was sweaty. I was thirsty. I didn't want to eat more camp food. I'm at the top of this. And I just began to have some of these real conversations with God. And this is where he drew me to. So we're almost at the end of the hike. So my friend Greg is like, hey, what have you been reading every morning? I'm like, Psalm 62. I've just been in it all July. We're getting to the end of July. Eden's surgery is coming up August 2nd. And uh, he's, he's like, what are you going to study for August? It feels like a pretty important month in your life. Like, what would you choose? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I just kind of randomly stumble into what passages I end up studying. I don't have a good plan for it. And he's like, oh, you should study Psalm 63 then. Just go to the next, next chapter. And I was like, Psalm 63. So I thumbed through it. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Like, God, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Do love is better than life. Like, I've, I've read these verses before. And so I just said, all right, sounds good. I'm going to take it as God's word to me through you, Greg, that I should read Psalm 63. So I started reading Psalm 63. And I'd only been in Psalm 63 two days by the time we went to Ann Arbor. On the first day, I started 63. And then the next day was Eden's surgery. So we go and we kind of tearfully release her to the doctors early that morning. And we're sitting there in the NICU waiting room, and there are a lot of things I was thinking about. There are a lot of things. And just as easy as it was to trust God in the early stages of the whole process, in that room it was like, are you going to trust me? Like this is where it gets real. This is real life. This is not like standing up and preaching about it. It's like, are you actively going to trust me when you cannot go back and hold your daughter's hand? You can't go back and like, coach her or encourage it's just she's back there and four or five hours from now you may see her again she's going to be totally different so i'm sitting there and i get a text on my phone we got a lot of texts by the way that's why you guys are incredible but some uh, a friend named amy who goes to our church she texted Lindsay and i and just said hey this morning i woke up knowing eden's surgery i just felt led to pray the words of psalm 62 i just felt like god wanted you to, to be reminded that you could trust him and I was like, whoa, that was crazy. I said, Lindsay, you see this? I've been reading Psalm 62 for a month. Like God has been speaking to me in this passage all month long. It was incredible. So I put my phone back down. I opened my phone. A couple minutes later, I have a text from my friend John. And John sent like a voice note. And in this voice note, I can hear he's in. He's a lead pastor of a church in Canada. He's in his the sanctuary. They're about to have a prayer meeting. And he said, guys, I just feel led. We're going to pray for Eden Gorbett. 
Some of you may know or some of you may not. But I feel led to pray the words of Psalm 63 over Eden and her family right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, God is real. Like, I wasn't convinced, but now I'm convinced. It was just like, oh my word. I, I never encountered such like a radical like clarity to those moments as I did in that waiting room. And I think because God needs to do stuff that obvious to get my attention to truly trust him. That's what I think. Not because I'm special, but because I'm very stubborn and very hard-headed. And he, and he wanted me to be reminded of Psalm 63. And here are the words that I really held on to in Psalm 63. Verse 6. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. You know how I read this? Verse 6. On my fold-out bed, next to my three-month-old daughter who's on a breathing machine to make sure she makes it through the night, I remember you. That's how I read it. Like as I'm laying next to Eden in those, those moments, that couple verses took on a totally different reality for me. Uh, because here's, a, maybe this is just me, maybe I'm unique and weird in this. The, the time I'm the most anxious, worried, fearful, freaked out is not like at lunchtime. <laughs> it's typically at midnight, it's at 1 a.m., it's 2 a.m., I'm trying to fall asleep. It's those night watches, this is what David refers to, it's that, that section of time when like the dead of night that's where fear, that's where worry, that's where anxiety takes over. I bet it does for you too in that time. That, that's when that stuff rises, it bubbles up to the surface. And what does David say the, the response of someone who is truly wanting help, truly wanting to get free, truly wanting to trust? On my bed, I remember you. Not the circumstances I'm facing, not all the, the worries and the fears I have, not the, the kind of uncertainty around my daughter and what's going to happen after these couple weeks, I think about you. In the watches of the night, 12 to 3 a.m., I'm, I'm remembering you. Why? Because you're my help. I can't help myself. I don't even know how to read half the monitors in this room. You know, like that's how I thought. Just like, I don't know. I think she's good. Like, but he says, in those moments, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Like that for me, these last couple weeks, was a time frame God has been teaching me to trust. Now, we're home. Like, we got home Sunday night, back together, family of four, back in my own bed. That feels good. Have I been up at midnight, 3 a.m. every night since then? Yes, I have. <laughs> in case you're wondering, yes, I have. Uh, somehow, Lennon's figured out how to also start waking up in the middle of the night, you know? So, we're just in that, in that season, that stage right now. And I've had to remember that. I have had to remember that. There was a moment as I was sitting, Eden would just not stop crying. I was like, I'm going to literally pull any hair I have left on my head out because I'm going crazy. It's like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. This is not the time I want to be awake. And I remember just putting my head on her head. There's a lot of words I want to say. But literally in my head, I just was like, God, I'm going to be honest. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. You picked the wrong parents to go through this. This is way too hard. I'm slowly losing my salvation every night that I don't get a full night's sleep. Like, this is way too hard. This is not 
fair. I, just, I shouldn't have to trust you in this area. And I, th- I think what he was teaching me and is teaching me now is, is trust. I think he's teaching me, no, I know you cannot do this. Isn't that the point? Isn't that why you've placed your faith in me? Isn't that why David's words are not just words on some ancient book that no one reads anymore? They're words that really do mean something. If you, if you allow them to seek, see, soak into your actual life, not just your Sunday morning life, but like the rest of your life. And that's what starts to really hit me, even as fresh as this week. Now, if you're traveling to go back to Rainier, right? So if you're traveling with a group of guys over time, um, there are going to be inevitable inevitable moments of conflict, right? Does anyone else's family ever fight in here? Is that just our family? Kind of, okay, that's what I thought. Ever fight with your friends or been on a trip and you're like all disagreeing? Yeah, 100%. So we're on this trail. Now, to give you some context, I'm in my 30s. My friend Brian's in his 40s and my friend Greg's in his 50s. That means they're smarter, wiser, older, and all the things. So I should listen to them and respect them, right? That would be the right thing to do as the youngest member of, of the group. So there are a few moments on the trail, almost every single day, where it would be there would be a path blocked or marking was really unclear and it didn't line up with the map that we have. And they would look at me as I just keep plowing along. I'm like, I'm not even going to say anything. I just I know it's this way. 100%. It's this way. I know it. I've studied this map. I laid in bed reading this map. I know it's this way. And they would look at me, and I, I knew it. I could feel their eyes like burning a hole through the back of my head. They're looking at me like, dude, you're not going the right way. Like, this is not how you're supposed to go. And I would turn around. I would literally look at I'm like, guys, trust me. It's this way. <laughs> Just trust me. It is this way. I studied the map. I've never been here, but I got a good sense of direction. You know, like, just trust me. I've got the intel. I've done the, the homework. It is this way. We don't go that way, and we don't go back. We go this way. And I think there's so many moments in our life in which we do that with the Lord. We'll look at him and be like, are you serious? That does not look like the way forward. That does not look like the way to freedom. That does not look like the way to hope or a better future or a better relationship with my kids or my spouse or my friends. And I think God, somewhat like I had to do in that moment, wants to turn to some of us, maybe even right now, and just say, just trust me. It, it is this way. Just trust me. It's this way. And here's what I know. In my own life, and I'm, I'm willing to, to bet in your life too, most of the the bumps in the road spiritually for us are not because we face hard things. Everybody faces something hard. If we sat down and shared all of our life story, there are, there are wounds, there are traumas, there are crises, there are dark things, there are addictions, there are sins, there are things that have been done to you that were unfair. All of us have hard things. The pain in our life often does not come from those. Listen to what uh, uh, Francois Fenelon writes about this. He says it this way. Our pain in life does not come from the circumstances we face, but from our resistance to giving those circumstances to Jesus. Can I just tell you, that has never been more true in my life than in the last 7 to 14 days. Our, my pain in life, the difficulty I'm having with this whole process 
not just a sleepless night, but watching your daughter go through this and adapting to life at home and being like a pharmacist every night for her, like all these kind of things. It's not that there's no one else who's gone through that stuff. My pain in life, some of the angst and the, the friction I have felt in my relationship with God has come from a resistance to say, God, you know what? Tonight, I got this. I got it. I don't need you. I got it. And every single time that happens, it creates more and more distance and more and more disconnection and more and more walls between me and the only true source of freedom and the only true source of hope. And that's the person of Jesus. It was one of the days we finally got moved into the general care room. So we left the, the pediatric, pediatric intensive care and got to move upstairs. It felt like such a small win. It's like, yes, we got a different room and more space, and it's, it means we're moving forward. I was excited about it. It was a particularly hard day, though. Sure, her pain was still really intense, and just nothing seemed to really work. And I just was like, I, have, I need a break. Lindsay, I'm going to have to tap you in like, it's your turn. I got I to gotta go outside. And so at U of M, they have a courtyard connected to the children's hospital. And that is Ann Arbor, not Soviet Russia, in case you're wondering. It is prettier than that. Uh, just the picture doesn't quite do it justice. But we're sitting in this, I was sitting in this courtyard. I just go downstairs, and I'm like, I just need to be in the sun and just get some fresh air. And I begin to look around. There's probably 20, 30 people out there with me. Look over to my left, and there's a family, a young couple, that clearly had just had their first baby. Like, they're holding this baby. This baby's super cute. You know, they're probably about to go home. They're just waiting to get discharged or something. And it was such an incredible moment. But having been there, like so many of you, having been through that process, I know that is its own unique kind of weight. It's exciting, but it's still a weight. It's still something that you have to, to, to work through and live through. And I look to my right, and next to that young couple is a mom who's with a daughter who's hooked up to all sorts of machines that she had to bring outside with her. And I kind of overhear this conversation between her and a stranger that she'd been there since May. This is August. Like months and months and months of, of just, I'm sure, pain and suffering watching her daughter go through whatever she was going through. And then I look kind of past that, that young family, and there's an elderly man sitting there sleeping in the sunshine just like totally just enjoying the moment but as you look around all 20 of those people every single person was carrying some kind of weight maybe it wasn't visible to everybody but all of us were there because we're, we were carrying a weight maybe it was a family member maybe it was a good thing maybe it was an awesome procedure or maybe it was something really really hard and I look, I immediately began to think about our church. And I immediately began to think about that's really all of us. You may not look like it, but every single one of us today, right now in this moment, online or in this room, are carrying some kind of weight. Now, maybe the weight of a new job and promotion, that's awesome. Or maybe the weight of a diagnosis that you didn't want. Maybe the weight of a fractured relationship. Maybe the weight of a brand new marriage. All of us, though, have some kind of weight, some kind of thing that we're carrying. And can I just tell you, Jesus does not want to be one of many options for you to trust. At the end of the day, just hear it from me, this is what I've found the last three, four weeks. 
He's really the only viable option to trust. He's really the only one who can carry it. Why? Because he he says he's a way to the truth and life and freedom and hope. It's in him. It's not in my ability to micromanage my circumstance or be strong or be a good dad. It's not in it's not in any of that. It's in my willingness to lay all of that at the feet of Jesus and say, I can't do this. I wasn't created to do this. I'm not wired to do this. But what I can do is surrender, and what I can do is trust. And God, I think, wants to say to me, even right now, I'm preaching to myself, God just wants to say, just trust me, John, it's this way. This way. I know the map. I know where you want to go. I know I know where I want to take you. Just trust me. It's this way. He can carry it. He can lead. He is the only guide who will never fail you. And so what I would love to do is just take a minute, kind of in the spirit of all that, and pray over us. And, and I would say, like, hey, we should raise our hands and identify if you have a way. We don't need to do that. We all, get, we all have something. Could be good, could be bad, could be really fresh, or maybe it's in the past. But I would love to pray just that God would get us in touch with that, that freedom and that trust that comes from, from really giving it over to him. So would you pray with me? We just pray, come, Holy Spirit. We need you. We are not self-sufficient. We're not as strong as we think we are. We are much more dependent, fragile creatures than we would like to admit. And it's in that place, God, you actually begin. You begin to stir up the best work. And I pray, Lord, for all of us, myself included, that this work in progress of trust this work in progress of surrender, God, that you would help us to move forward in that today. And maybe it is a good thing, a good thing that you want us to say, don't hold on to this, don't put your hope in this. Give this good thing back to me. Surrender it back to me. Trust me with it again. Or maybe for us it is something that is just flat out hard. It's heavy. We didn't want it. We didn't ask for it but it's in our lap. And God, I pray, not just for Lindsay and I, but for all of us, if, if we find ourselves in that place, that you would allow us to not just take up trust, but to pour out our heart before you right now. To trust you with the fear, to trust you with the worry, trust you with the anxiety, trust you with the sleepless nights. And know that you care for us more than anybody ever could or anybody ever will. You demonstrate that on the cross. The, the most extreme lengths to, to prove your love, prove your forgiveness, prove your the value that you see in us. And we say thank you for that sacrifice. Our only response, Lord, is, is to say thank you. It's to, to position ourselves with gratitude. So we pray this in the bold and the matchless name of Jesus. Church, would you stand? We're going to worship and respond together.